as Dave said last week, we're kind of exploring this word holy or holiness, and we're going to continue on this week with exploring the word glory. The idea behind last week and this week is, I think in our culture, especially the church culture, we have these words that we use on a Sunday, but we don't use for the rest of the week. And if somebody were to press you and ask you, what does this word mean? Like maybe somebody is just, you know, is new to the faith, somebody hasn't been around for a long time, and they're just like, I don't know, I just sang a song, and the word glory showed up 20 times. What does that even mean? And so last week we kind of explored holiness, and this week I want to explore the word glory. The sermon's going to be very typical, like we did last week, where I'm hoping to kind of trace through Scripture what this idea of glory is. I think when you really truly connect with what the word glory is, it has the potential to open up the Bible in a way to you that maybe you've you've not seen before. And it, it's, it's a rich word. It's a deep word. It has important meaning. And so that's that's what I want to do this morning. I want to kind of explore this with you. Before the sermon, I was talking to, to Dan just about the word holiness and you know, it's just there's so much you leave on the table when you try to explore a rich word. And of course, this week is going to be no different. There's going to be a lot that we just can't say in the short amount of time I have here till four-ish or so. I'm hoping this intrigues you. And I'm hoping this gets you exploring some of these words. And maybe even asking yourself, what other words... Um, have I heard on Sunday between 10.30 and 11.30, but no other part of the week in a word that maybe I should explore? So that's the idea. So other Surgeon General's warning. This is like one of those kind of sermons where the payoff is at the end and the beginning is kind of like, what are we even doing? Hang in there with me, all right? You, you got to hang in with her. Like, I know what happens when somebody throws a Hebrew word up there and you're just like, is it a sermon? Is it a teaching class? Um, yes. Um, and some of these words that we're trying to explore, we got to build foundation. And I'm, I think when we start landing the plane, I'm hoping there's a payoff for you. So let's start off here with kind of like trying to help us understand just, just again, the richness of this word and all the different kinds of ways it's being used in scripture Kind of a, not top ten list, but top four list maybe of, of some common ways you see this. So read through this real quick. So um, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Classic, classic verse, right? For those born in the 80s, your first introduction to scripture via Charlie Brown, when we recite this classic verse, uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Pause right there and look at the highlighted words and look where the word glory is used in each one of these scriptures and try to articulate 
how those words are being used in each scripture, right? If you didn't know nothing, you would read Luke 2 and you would think that the glory of the Lord is what? Some kind of nightlight, right? There's something about this glory that's just kind of illuminating everything around us. And now we can see what's going on. And there's some kind of like, I don't know, is it is it a source of light? Is that what we're talking about when we say glory? That next verse, when we say glory, is it just all creation? Is that what we're talking about when we say glory? Is it the sky, the birds, the trees? Is it even the snow in the winter? I don't know. Is that what we mean when we say glory? Does it have something to do with when we eat? Is the glory connected to dinner tonight? Or is it something that we just, you know, there's some standard, some moral standard that we have fallen short of? Kind of like how Romans 3 kind of shows it to us there. And so this is kind of what I'm hoping highlights just the, the challenge when we start working with this word glory and what it means and trying to understand with some clarity what this is mean. And, and it has huge implications, right? Because this is central to one of the characteristics of God and, and one of the things that we see come up time and time again in Scripture. And talking about glory is actually one of the things that Paul highlights time and time again in his letters. So what has been helpful for me is this actually is something I read as I was researching this long time ago and reading through what glory meant. And a, a, another pastor was kind of using this, and it's always been very helpful for me. So I want to kind of give this to you, too, to help you. So in Highland Park, there's a statue there that overlooks the amphitheater. Who knows what statue that is? Frederick the Frederick Douglass statue. It's a huge statue, stands, I don't know, good story high, it's on a huge pedestal. And Frederick Douglass, for us in Rochester, he's one of uh, our probably best-known public figures in history. Frederick Douglass is a fascinating person. He was originally a slave, and he escaped slavery by kind of coming up. And if you actually trace the path he took to escape the South, um, it was this winding road he had to kind of take where he kind of came north a little bit, and he had to go down south because you couldn't take a direct route, and you kind of scooted around, and there's that statue there. And so he kind of took this really roundabout way and eventually ended up in New York City and found himself in Massachusetts for a while. And um, after a few months or so there in Massachusetts, he actually fled to Europe. He was actually in Ireland because he was afraid that he was actually going to be found by his, his slave owner and captured and returned back down to the south. So he spent some time over there. And again, very fascinating. Like He learned so much being over there um, amongst those foreigners because for them, race and his background just didn't matter. And just the contrast between that country and this country was just so different. And eventually he makes it back to America. And he arrives here in Rochester. And he begins to write a publication called the North Star. And he writes this publication in the basement of a church right here in Rochester. Uh, he's an incredible, credible guy. The one thing that you will, I think, be attracted to is how much of his faith connects to what he views the, the value of men and all people. 
and just how he invites others to actually see his intrinsic value as a creation of God. One of his more famous letters is when he actually wrote a letter to his former slave owner. And in that, he actually invites his former owner to see him as a child of God and invites him to see just his value comes from the Lord. And he, he says, don't we all worship the Lord? Another fascinating thing about Frederick Douglass is that, as you know, right here in Seneca Falls, not here, but kind of over there a little bit, um, was one of the first conventions for uh, the women's right movement in Seneca Falls. And there's only one African-American man that showed up to that, and that was Frederick Douglass. And his argument for advocating for women's rights was the very same thing that he was advocating for himself. And so, fascinating guy. When we have these statues erected around the city, isn't that what that statue is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to kind of point you to something, right? It's supposed to remind you about something, right? That statue of Frederick Douglass, it's, it's supposed to remind us of who he was. It's supposed to honor him. It's, it's certainly an honor, and it speaks to, to just his reputation as a person. In Bible language, if you're kind of bible that, I don't know if that's a word, but if you were to biblicify it, there we go. You would say that statue in Highland Park glorifies Frederick Douglass. You would say that statue in, uh, in Highland Park points you to the physical glory of Frederick Douglass. You would say that is Frederick Douglass's glory. And so for me, this has been helpful because when we start thinking about what does the word glory means, um, the statue is the thing that I point to because it kind of helps us wrap our mind around this, this is the thing that points us to something, some reputation, some physical repu- representation of Frederick Douglass and it, his, his glory. Hold on to that because as we go through what the Bible tells us about who we are, and how we are created, um, this right here is super helpful. What I want to do, we're going to start tracing through, and then we're going to come back to this example to kind of help us tie it all together. And, and I'm, hoping, I'm hoping this is a blessing to you to see just how, how rich this word is. So um, as promised, we are going to explore some Hebrew words. Who wants to take a shot at that? Kavod. The Hebrew word for glory translates from kavod. This word kavod is, again, one of those words that, depending on the context that you're using it in, could have a lot of different kinds of meanings. A great way to explain that is the word heavy, right? Um, If you're to say that object is heavy versus saying, I got heavy news today. In the context, we understand, one, to represent something physical about that object, whereas when we say heavy news, we're talking about something that could be sad, could be weighty, could be very serious, very concerning. It's the same exact thing when we're talking about this word kavod. Depending on where it is used in Scripture, it could have different meanings. 
I just want to mention a couple of these other meetings very briefly, uh, but then I want to point us to that last um, last definition of what kavoda is, that, that representation of something or someone. Uh, in the Bible, you could see that word kavod being used to literally describe something as, as heavy or weighty. In the book of Samuel, when Eli fell over because his sons had did something really, really bad, the Bible says that he fell over because he had a lot of glory. A lot of glory. Now, you know this because after Thanksgiving and your spandex pants has expanded as, as much as it can, you're just sitting there in your what watching football. You are in your glory, right? With all that turkey, all that stuffing. It's that, that is you in your glory. Because you know when Thanksgiving is over? When you hate yourself. Right? That's how you know it's over. When you've had so much and you're just there in your glory. Um, the Bible uses that word in the same exact way. Just, just weight, heaviness, um, a very large man. Um, we also see it used in a metaphorical sense when we're talking about someone's reputation. When we see in Scripture, especially in the book of Kings, time and time again, when the kings are being described, when all these important people are described, they're usually described as having glory, as having importance, great reputation, great honor. But there's this last usage that you see throughout Scripture, and this is where we're going to start connecting God's glory to to what we are trying to understand. That's a physical manifestation of one's importance. Now, in Scripture, you can see God having this kind of kavod, but we also see in Scripture that people can have this kind of kavod. Again, the kings, especially Solomon, is being described as having great, great glory or kavod because his palace is just adorned with gold, adorned with all these different things. I mean, we all have this too. Like you go into your home and your, your home is just kind of filled with your, your kavod, your glory, right? What's on your walls? Pictures of kids, pictures of different grandchildren, right? Um, who's got the basement with all the posters that your wife will let you put upstairs, right? Of all the sports teams and all the different things. When I was a young kid, like I had the same thing. When I was younger, I had this room full of different posters from all the bands that I loved to listen to. And then eventually I became a Christian and all of a sudden like now, you know, you got to replace those with the youth group approved posters and the youth pastor came over and proved all of them, thankfully. But, like, you know, you would go into my room, and that would be Chris Vincent's Cavode. You know, 500 Frenzy, MXPX, all these different bands. That was kind of my Cavode. And so, in the Bible, we understand that people can have this idea of Cavode, kind of this, this reputation and representation of, of our wealth and our possessions. How does scripture describe God's kavod? We kind of read it here. Let's zero in on this. Often in scripture, when we see God's kavod being described, it is described as his creation. In Psalm 19.1, it kind of shows us right there. The psalmist uh, says to us, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. What this 
psalmist wants you to do when we go have a picnic today is to go outside and to look around and look at the sky and the beauty of creation and to reflect upon that and to see that that is God's glory, his representation of his greatness and his character and who he is. All of creation declares God's kavod. And we see that in everything. We see that in all the things that we, we look in creation. There's another psalm that kind of points to another part of God's kavod. And, and this one, I think, is, is a huge one. And this is the one that you can trace from, from Genesis to, to Revelation of God's kavod, God's glory, and, and what that is. Let's read through Psalm 8. We're going to read through the whole psalm and just kind of pick out what is, is a very important part that kind of points us to this deep, deeper meaning of what, what God's glory is. So follow along with me. I'll have this up here for you. Psalm 1 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? The the author is just reflecting, who am I? that the creator of the known universe takes note of me. There's just this uh, awe that's coming from him of just this, the fact that God is even paying attention to me, given how splendid all of creation is, how incredible all the heavens are. He continues on after saying, you know, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? He then reflects upon how he has created them In verse 5, he says, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers of the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. And so here, after talking about just like how incredible creation is and just this, I can't believe you would even look at us, Lord. He then moves on to just talk about human beings themselves. And and what does he say there in verse 5 about you and I? That we are crowned with glory and honor. We are created just a little bit lower than divine creatures. This is very important, by the way, because... Um, especially in our current culture, generally our viewpoint of people is very, very low, right? Like people are terrible. They can't drive right. They don't know how to check out Wegmans right. Um, the fence that my neighbor put up is annoying. The way that they're all behaving, like, you know, we, we have a very low view generally in our culture of human beings. The Bible does not. The Bible has a very, very high view of you and I and, and, and how we are crowned with glory and honor. 
Psalm 8, in some ways, is a reflection on a different verse in Scripture. And, and that is all the way back in the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, um, how are we created? How does God create us? In the image of who? Of God. You and I are created in the image of God. It says, this is not up here, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Scripture points to a very high view of how you and I were created. We were created to be a, a image or a reflection of who God is. We were created to really reflect our creator and his glory through all creation. We were created to be a representation of God here in creation. Think back to that statue of, of, of uh, Frederick Douglass. Like, that statue is, is meant to be a reflection of who he is and it's supposed to point to something about him. In the same way that statue is meant to point to the glory of, of that man, you and I are meant to point everyone around us to the glory of God. We are a reflection of God's glory. Years after you know, that, that statue was erected, there's actually, around Rochester, they made 12 replicas. And they put these different replicas in different um, parts of the city. And one of those replicas was actually put into um, the, the Maplewood Park, the Rose Garden, right across from uh, the Kodak campus. Back in 2020, in the summer, that statue was actually vandalized. They took that particular statue off the pedestal and they actually tossed it over the, the fence, the chain link fence, and it actually went down into the ravine. And when they're trying to find it, that was the first thing they did is they went down there hunting for it. And sure enough, it was down there. And it, it made, of course, the rounds, given the climate that we live in and the culture that we live in, uh, made NPR, made national news. It was everywhere. For that particular statue, when that gets knocked off the pedestal, when that gets colored with spray paint, when that gets tossed into the ravine, does that statue still represent the glory of Frederick Douglass? I would argue it doesn't. See, that, that statue had a purpose, and it was meant to be right there on that pedestal and meant to be erected in such a way and to look a certain way to be a true representation of who Frederick Douglass is. In the same exact way, you and I were created for a very specific purpose to do a very specific calling in our lives so that we could be true reflections of our creator. But what happens? We don't love each other the way we ought to love each other. We don't live up to the righteousness that God has called us to live up to. 
Um, we, we're, we're cruel to each other. We're sinful to each other. We just make a mess of creation, a mess of each other. We, we are not the people that we're called to be. Continually, my, my own life, I'm, I'm constantly doing things that I, I just I wish I could overcome and wish I could not do so that I could become a true reflection of the glory of God. Because there's something about you and I when we begin to actually reflect who God is accurately in our lives that we become this better representation of what we're supposed to be, and that is the image of God. I want to give you two verses, and we're going to kind of land on these two verses. We are the glory of God. We are a representation. We are an image. We point to something greater than ourselves. And we're called to be that image bearer. We are called to reflect people the glory of God, his representation, his character, his glory, his holiness, all the characteristics of God. We are called to be a reflection of that. But we continually fail to live up to that expectation. Let me give you two verses, and we're going to land on this. And this is kind of the bow, and the, and the thing that I think is very helpful for me now knowing what exactly glory is. So these two verses, they actually come from Corinthians. Like I was saying, Paul is real big about this idea of glory. I, I think, again, without really knowing exactly what we mean when we say the word glory and what Paul means, these verses maybe aren't as impactful as they could be. Let's read these couple of verses in light of understanding that you are made in the image of God. You are created with purpose. You are created to be a reflection of God's character and his reputation so that this world can know who God truly is. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Who is Christ? He is the image of God. See, Jesus Christ himself is the perfect image of God, the perfect reflection of of who God is. God is, his character, his glory, his reputation, all those things. And just think about when you read Jesus' story, every time somebody has an encounter with Jesus, they're never the same, right? They're never the same individual. When people encounter the Jesus of Nazareth, you see things happen like their bodies get healed. You see that their minds get transformed. You see people's hearts change in significant ways. You see the other thing too, because those who are steeped into this self-centered, like self-focused type world where I got my own kavod and everyone's supposed to worship my kavod, what happened when those Pharisees encountered Jesus? It almost amplified that self-centeredness. It almost amplified that view of the world revolves around me. Jesus is a perfect representation of who God is and his character. And Paul declares this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Jesus is who you and I are called to be, but perpetually fail to be. Jesus is a, a representation of how I am to love my neighbor. 
Jesus as a a representation of how I am to, to subscribe to God's justice and his righteousness. Jesus represents God perfectly. And I am called to be just like Jesus, but I fail continually to be like Christ. I think in your own life, if you're honest, and you're to truly look at your life and compare the way you're living the way Jesus calls you to live, you would see that gap and you would recognize how, how you and I, we, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of being that representation of God's glory. That's what Paul means when he's talking in Romans 3 about you and I and falling short of the glory. We were meant to be that statue, that representation, that image But what has happened is we have done the things that have ruined ourselves, ruined each other, and ruined creation. And we are no longer a representation of who God's character truly is. But 2 Corinthians 3.18, that's that's the good news. And that's the thing to focus in on. Because Paul says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we, we just kind of reflect the, the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this is where I want to land with you. You are called to be a reflection of God's glory. And truthfully, there's nothing in this life that will really help somebody understand who God is, his character, and what he's all about than an individual that is a perfect reflection of who God is in his glory. The more you become more like Christ, and the more you become a true reflection of who God is, the more people around you can be transformed. Sometimes we think it's, it's that, that church service and these things are not, not a... There's many ways to, to encounter the creation, creator of, of all, all life, right? You know, church, Pastor Dave, um, you know, different interactions with uh, podcasts and sermons. Um, but, but nothing really is quite like a human being with a transformed heart and a transformed mind that is reflecting God's glory perfectly. And so, friends, I I would just encourage you, as you reflect upon your life and and where you are as a person, um, allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to start transforming you in, in, in real ways to be a better reflection of God's glory. And I think when we do that, that's when you see family members changed, when you see neighbors changed, and when you see communities being redeemed for God. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for this time. God, I just pray that we would just be a reflection of your glory in every way. And Lord, wherever we are lacking in, in being a true representation of you, Lord, that you would just shine a light on that. And Lord, that we would bring that forward and allow the Spirit to just transform that area of our life. Thank you for this time, Lord, and I just pray that we would just reflect upon this word more and more, and Lord, we would just be true representations of your glory in all of creation. Amen.